Sean McCracken from Hotel News Now here with Mitch Shaw, Noble Investment Group. And Mitt, what's new and interesting in the world of Noble right now? Well, Sean, first of all, it's uh, it's great to see you um, here in New York. Um, and I think you know what's new and interesting uh, right now in in, uh, in our space. I mean, you saw another announcement this morning from our friends at Marriott. Um, is uh, you know the the growth of of this uh, mid-scale extended stay space um, that is not new. Uh, it's been in our sector for quite some time, um, and you've had uh, a few of the brands that are participated in, but just most recently you've had Hyatt make an announcement, you've had Hilton make an announcement, and now Marriott make an announcement. So you could ask yourself, you know, like, what, why is all of that happening? And I think it's, um, you know, really the trends of how consumers are thinking about how they stay and how they live. And, you know, this product type, let's not mistake it with, you know, some of the top tier upscale extended stay brands like Residence Inn and Homewood Suites and, you know, Hyatt House. But um, these are these are types of hotels that uh, really do cater to the widest swath of, of, uh, of travelers and those that live uh, for longer than 30 days. And so, you know, I think the first thing that conjures up is like, wow, this is really coming close to kind of a nexus between mm -hmm. hospitality and multifamily. Yeah. And um, I think that is, um, you know, something that's really, really good for our business because at, at our core, you know, we are um, serving, um, you know, uh, uh, people with experiences in our hotels. And as they get, you know, accustomed to those kinds of experiences and how that, how that feels, um, it makes sense to kind of start migrating towards longer stays, uh, more apartment-like uh, type offerings. And so for us, um, you know, we are going to be making a uh, continued significant investment in this space. Um, and a couple of things just from an economic standpoint that I think are really interesting. You know, I started uh, uh, this business 30 years ago. And we were building um, uh, Hampton Inns at the time. And U.S. Revpar uh, in 1993 was $40. You build a Hampton Inn for $40,000 a room. You know, just like it, it's actually coincidental that those two numbers mapped on top. Mm -hmm. um, but, you made know. It math simple though, right? It was very, it made it very simple. So if you, if, if, you, if you could find a market that had $40 Revpar, you could build it for $40,000 a room. Your, your uh, continental breakfast costs were $0.27 cents an occupied room. Uh, you could build these for $75 a square foot. Um, essentially, you could generate 50% profit margins um, in you know the first 12 to 18 months of an operation. It was a beautiful business, very simple. Um, it's become more complicated over the over the years, um, uh, for sure. Uh, but this product type um, is uh, is actually also further interesting. This mid-scale extended stay. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is that from a cost to build standpoint, even though construction costs are, you know, $230, $40 a square foot, um, you know, w we believe that we can build these with land for $130,000 to $140,000 a key. We believe we can generate 90-ish dollar rev pars uh, in these assets. And because we believe that we can run them with, you know, circa seven to eight full-time employees, which now that conjures up this whole nexus between multifamily and, and yeah. hospitality, right? Because of the, the few amount of FTEs, um, you can start really generating those same kinds of profit margins. So mm -hmm. when, you know, when we think about like, what are we really excited about? Um, I think first and foremost, we're, we're super excited about the future of travel and, uh, and, and hospitality. We're seeing it uh, obviously in all of our numbers across the world. Um, and uh, um, but we're also very very excited about this product uh, entering the market and being a large player in that. Yeah, I mean, and it seems like in the last few years, 
that space has been so much more on the table for you know the institutional investment types who i mean i don't even know what a REIT quality asset is anymore yeah. like it seems like the the world of potential hotel investments has kind of opened up and that kind of mid-market lower end segment stuff is more on the table for a lot more people because they see how compelling it is as an investment you know they um uh i think you're exactly right sean think about back to um you know 97 98 um and i know i'm dating myself here but what you started to see were um, real estate investment trusts uh, come in uh, that were focused on select service and extended stay. Remember mm -hmm. all the names, right? It was Equity Inns, it was RFS, it was Winston Hotels, um, and uh, and Jeff Fisher with Innkeepers. Like all of those kind of came about, and that allowed the public markets to really understand this asset class mm -hmm. uh, from a performance uh, standpoint and institutionalize. Uh, what is today in select services and say very institutionalized, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's you know, REITs, uh, you know, large PE firms and the like. Well, in this segment, um, you know, you've had two of our largest, um, um, uh, you know, uh, private equity firms in, in Blackstone who's bought Extended State America three times. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you've got Starwood Capital with in-town suites that own that now in, in, in you know, permanent capital vehicle. Um, that that have you know also institutionalized this asset class and uh, you know Brookfield own over a hundred Wood Springs um, yeah. and uh, and like so I think I think what's um, uh, you know I, I kind of started this like this is not new yeah what is new is that you have you know Hyatt Hilton Marriott all now thinking about their um you know organizations in in a world where this is a product where people will live mm -hmm. for you know 30 plus nights yeah. uh that is different i mean it would surprise you if you actually looked at the average length of stay of residence in homewood suites home to town place etc it's not very long mm -hmm. you know uh, uh in terms of you know um uh, you know those those actual amount of days uh because the transient demand is so high and they like that suite offering uh, but the magic really happens in, in, in these kinds of uh, longer-term apartment-type stays where you have these really 30-day, 30-night uh, stays. Now, let, let's, let's also level set this. If you charge anywhere between 80 to you know, $90 uh, a night for this and you know, uh, on a 30-night stay, that you know, twenty five hundred to you know, twenty seven hundred dollars that uh, that you would pay, fully furnished. No security mm -hmm. deposit, uh, TV, all your utilities and the like. And so if you think about the workforce housing that, that really um, exists out there that will continue to exist with infrastructure, with, with traveling, um, um, you know, uh, medical professionals and the like, um, I, th I think, um, you know, this is why there's a lot of excitement around uh, what that's going to look like. Hence, you know, our excitement in terms of being, you know, large participant. Yeah, I'm curious whether you think the brands moving more more concertedly into that space <clears throat> excuse me is also a sign that maybe they'll be in more direct competition with you know alternative lodging like the airbnbs of the world and the kind of service departments like that space already exists um i'm wondering how that you you kind of see all that shaking out yeah, I, I, I do believe that um, everyone is thinking about their own brand relative yeah. to how, you know, they um, capture customer uh, loyalty and how 
that you can drive that through other types of channels that you might not have, right? It's been a sole vertical. It's been hotel stays, hotel stays, hotel stays. And then you've had some that, that say, hey, we're going to build you know, residences on the luxury side, right? Mm-hmm. And that feels comfort. Um, you've seen Marriott get into the cruise space um, in terms of you know, the luxury uh, uh, cruise lines uh, and the like. So I think it's a natural uh, evolution for them in terms of how they think about um, you know, that customer that has grown accustomed uh, to you know, what that offering is, the consistency of that offering. You know, and as people get older, um, they're looking for reliability, I think, and, you know, mm-hmm. quality and reliability. And, um, it, it, you know, Marriott, you know, announced apartments by Bonvoy. Um, that's not new. You know, they have yeah. a big service department business. Wouldn't surprise us to, to see others, um, you know, think about that space as well. And is that a really, a, you know, is that competition to Airbnb or is it simply providing those customers an offering Mm-hmm. Um, through a platform that they have a lot of trust in yeah. uh, so that they can, you know, for whatever their travel needs are, um, they can, you know, be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, back to the point you are making earlier about kind of the select service space being more um, investable. Obviously, you guys did a big deal last year with Host, which, I mean, obviously a huge, the biggest hotel rate. Like, how, how did that deal come together, and what do you think that says about what, noble has been doing the past few years so um what i would say about that is first of all um you know it they are incredible friends and partners Mm -hmm. and uh you know as we fast forward you know 15 16 months uh from you know when that deal was announced um uh it's even better than we could have imagined because what we get a chance to do is to envision um what does the future of travel and hospitality and leisure look like Mm-hmm. And um, through their platform and all the data uh, that they've got uh, through our strategies and, and what, what we have. And so um, they're a, uh, a large investor in, uh, in, in our current uh, real estate uh, fund that's uh, approaching a billion dollars of equity. And, uh, and, you know, their whole goal is to um, take capital from their balance sheet and invest it in private strategies through the Noble platform. Mm-hmm. So that was the genesis of, uh, of all of this. And I think where we are you know, today, and going back to some of these things that we talked about with um, this mid-scale extended stay um, or you know, other types of uh, adjacencies to our core business, uh, that's what's really, I think, exciting for us. Because if you, again, just look at the data, uh, in 2030, we're going to have 40 million more people um, that are aged 55 to 79 and 25 to 39, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the two largest traveling demographic, 40 million more of them. Um, we know that what locational flexibility means, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't need to, 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 to you know, to, to do that because the data, you know, uh, uh, shows that. Um, but the other thing that we're really seeing and, uh, um, and you know, Tony Capuano was on, on Squawk Box, you know, saying the exact same thing is that like, consumer spend to experiences uh, and and travel um, is growing at the highest pace that it has been over durable goods. Uh, mm-hmm. And so when you put all of those together, the future of travel and hospitality is really exciting. Now, our responsibility is to think about what is that? And just like we're sitting here 
you know, 30, you know, years, uh, you know, after we started, uh, you know, uh, our business and 30 years prior to there wasn't select service. It was, you know, a big, large, you know, full service um, uh, types assets. And 30 years before that, there wasn't anything right before the interstate system. So as you as you fast forward, you know, each of these kinds of decades and years, um, the innovation, um, how consumers really look for products and ideas. I, I think what we we believe is that we're at the forefront of something that is going to be continued, um, you know, uh, um, um, you know, growth for for our sector and and product types that we can invest in, um, you know, that may not look like the things that we've done in times past. Mm-hmm. So obviously, optimism for the long term. Are you feeling as optimistic in the short term um, with you know? looming recession or whatever that might look like how are you feeling about you know the rest of the year next year like what do you think we're going to see yeah it's a great question sean you know i think you can um, pick up the paper or watch the news and get a variety of different you know uh types of reports and feedback on uh, on all that um i've stopped predicting what Mm -hmm. we think that that is going to you know to look like and and i think um, because you know you just can't you you just can't be right. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people make really terrible predictions in early 2020. <laughs> it's it's yeah, and 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 so I think fundamentally that's why I started with the long term, mm-hmm. and um, and then you sensitize what the the near term is. And so our business in Select Services to Stay, uh, it's an eight cap business, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very easy in which to to understand. You buy at eight percent yields. You turn them into 10% yields through, you know, operations and renovations and the like, and then you go sell them at 8% yields, mm-hmm. right? It's 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 really a, a very easy business in which to kind of do the math around. Um, if you take that 8% business and you have a 5% reduction in RevPAR, mm-hmm. um, and by the way, at 8%, you still have positive leverage, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, an eight, an 8 unlevered can be a 10 leverage yield you're still making, you know, a very strong high single digit return. Mm-hmm. If you feel like it's going to be a 10% reduction in RevPAR, and forget about it for how long, you know, et cetera, you know, then that number, you know, starts to, to look like a six, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, if you think it's as bad as the GFC, you're still at circa five. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of in, in terms of report, what, like we proved through um, you know the the pandemic, uh, and uh, I'll give credit to Dan Hansen, who was the CEO of Summit at that time. Like you know he did the math, and you know we were talking on a very regular basis that at a hundred dollars uh, uh, average daily rate and fifty percent occupancy, you could break even, mm-hmm. right? So it's a business that can take a lot of hits mm-hmm. uh, and and still keep going. Yeah. Right. And so um, that, and so not to be, you know, um, Pollyanna about it, but the reality is that nobody knows. Um, yeah. But if you believe in the long term and you know the supply growth is really going to be de minimis across the scale. Now, I just talked about building a bunch of the mid scale extended stay, but yeah. just in general. Yeah. Um, then, you know, you and you know that you can take some hits. And again, a lot of that is. You know, we, we, we leverage our assets, you know, closer to one to one leverage, you know, just, you know, be, you know, very prudent and all of that. It's a good business. And so I'm not as concerned about what that looks like over the next six, 12, 18 months. Uh, if you ask me to submit, you, you can't, you know, you can't be Switzerland here. You got to pick, you know, do, do you think it's going to be, you know, this or that? I, I, I actually am more uh, of a. Uh, of, of a bull uh, in terms of what the next 12 months look like. Mm-hmm. I think the next six months probably moderates more. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the following six months, um, you know, um, uh, is likely more to outperform. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. You never know. It feels like I look back to 2019 at NYU and, and Alice early in 2020. If the, the feeling, the tone I got back then was everybody was kind of half-heartedly rooting for a recession, right? Because they just wanted to peel the Band-Aid. Like it felt like everything had plateaued. So they wanted the cycle to crash to so start a new one. And then look at what everybody got. So, I mean, there's no point predicting and there's no point like saying it's going to go this way or that way, right? Like as long as it's a strong business. You're exactly right. I, Sean, I actually think you and I spoke in 2019. And I think the conversation was like, how you know, how, again, you know, how, how do you feel kind of mid part of the year? And, uh, and, and, you know, one of the concerns we're having is that we knew RevPAR growth was flatlining, yeah. right? And, uh, but, but costs continued to increase. Yeah, for sure. And we had to take costs out of the system. Like it did, mm-hmm. it made no sense, you know, for, you know, for, for that to, to, to run the way that it was running. Um, and so nobody was hoping or predicting, you know, I think for what we saw next. But from that time frame that we talked about, and this is actually interesting to note, um, I believe that the brands became very thoughtful around how to really think about the cost structure of this business. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of work started, you know, was, was in place and was happening. Um, it's the reason why I mention it, because we were knee deep in a lot of conversations about how to take, how to use technology and yeah. innovation, take costs out of the system. And so when the pandemic hit, um, we were, you know, we were, we were prepared to kind of, you know, pull that Band-Aid off, mm-hmm. make some structure changes because you could. Yeah. And so now, while, you know, some costs have kind of entered back into certain things like the, the amount of you know, times that, uh, you know, housekeeping is done and the check in experience and, you know, some of the food and beverage deliveries, those have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are having, especially in the select service space, and those are having a meaningful impact, um, especially when you've seen the kind of rate growth that we've seen. Yeah. I'm wondering, how do you feel about where we're at and kind of digesting that shift? Because obviously there was. You know, the pandemic scaled back service exponentially further than anyone expected that it would have so quickly. And then, you know, guests came back probably more quickly than people expected. So there's this kind of push and pull between how much can you cut, how what do, what do guests forgive? We're a couple of years removed from that now. Where do you, do you think we found an equilibrium maybe? Is that move into mid-scale extended stay an answer to find a product that you don't have to the expectations are a little lower and you can staff it a little more reasonably. Yeah, I believe the answer to your question lies on, it depends on where you're at, the kind of product yeah. that you're at, what are you charging? Um, yeah. and, and what do you need to deliver for based on what you're charging? Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that's actually just been fundamental to, um, you know, our industry for a very long time, you know, the more that you charge, the more, you know, what people, um, uh, deserve, you know, yeah. we're having these conversations, um, uh, you know, I think earlier, uh, this year about just what was hap- what happened with luxury last year. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you went from, you know, $500 a night to a thousand dollars a night overnight, you yeah. know, just in terms of, of that. And so what services do you need to deliver, uh, mm-hmm. when you're, when you're charging that much or $2,000 a night and, uh, um, and, uh, and, and so I think that, that, that's one part of it. The other is, you know, in, in the select service extended stay space, it's what, what is the consistency of, um, of the, the housekeeping or the food and beverage mm-hmm. projects, et, et cetera. There's just not as many costs that you can kind of add back. Yeah. I do think the housekeeping is, um, a portion is sticky, right? Like it mm-hmm. makes total sense, you know, uh, um, not to be in the room every single day. 
to be able to, do, you know, to have clean towels and to be able, you know, to tuck in your bed. But there's like, I mean, I think there's a there's a natural acceptance mm-hmm. uh, to that, which is meaningful, right? Yeah. Um, and and I also believe there's a natural um, acceptance to utilizing more technology. Um, and even though mm-hmm. I don't think the take rate on uh, on automated check-in is as high as it needs to be. Um, as occupancy continues to grow, people will opt out. I mean, you know, when, when we started using that at the airports, it wasn't because we didn't want to talk to anybody. It was just easier for us to go check in and, and, yeah. and, and get, you know, um, uh, those plane tickets that way. So I think, um, um, so that, that's one part of it. The other part of it is, and, and, and you got this exactly right, What's, all, what's really, really uh, exciting about this mid-scale extended stay is we're talking about six to eight full-time employees. Yeah. When we're talking about, we're not talking about like, you know, breakfast and all these other amenities that we added back into the business. And mm-hmm. early in the conversation, I said like, you know, when we started this uh, 30 years ago, it was 27 cents an occupied room for, for a continental breakfast. You mm-hmm. had some bananas and you had some granola and you had some oatmeal and it was pretty simple. And you didn't go rogue and, and go buy, you know, cranberry juice, right? Because mm-hmm. that, wasn't, that wasn't the brand standard. Um, and people learn to accept that that's what you got at that price point. Now, as we increase the price points, we started offering more and more and more and more and more and more. Um, and that's like in any other business, you know, in any other service business. You know, if you feel mm-hmm. like you can get more rate and you can drive more preference, you're going to, you know, offer more things. Mm-hmm. All right. So one last question for you. And I know you were saying that you don't like to predict the near term for you future, but who's going to win the NBA finals? Well, I, I I've always I thought that Denver was the best team uh, all year. They've just they're just um, they're so talented, and it's and it's really um, it, it's 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 really hard to stop Jokic. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, um, but you know Miami, um, they represent everything that we love about sports, and they're mm-hmm. just they're gritty, they're tough, um, and uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't count them out. I do think Denver wins the series, uh, but I think it's going to be a heck of a series. All right. Well, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Sean. It's always a pleasure.